This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com Funding for this class is provided by Benjamin Arieh and family in loving memory of Raphael, son of Chacham Rabbi Chia. Lessons in Tanya The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg Holding chapter 7, page 111 Chapter he discussed... the actions or thought or speech which are forbidden, which are prohibited. When the soul expresses themselves and thinks or speaks or acts in ways that are prohibited, and acting the powers and the faculties of the soul, the animal soul, then the person descends into the impure, the klipa, the three klipa, which are totally and absolutely impure. Now, in chapter 7, he's going to discuss the arena in life, which is basically neutral. Because you can divide everything in this world into three categories. Holy, a mitzvah, an obligation. The opposite of holy, impurity, prohibited. An avera, a sin sinful action, sinful thought, sinful speech. But then you have kosher. What does kosher mean? Neutral. It's permissible. It's not an obligation. It's not prohibited. It's permissible. That part of life which is permissible. The food that's permissible, doing business in a way that's permissible the portion of this world that the Torah allows a Jew to operate in. That's our theater of operation. There's the mitzvah. That's an obligation. Then you have what's off limits. The avera, it's prohibited. We're not allowed to trespass. Avera means to trespass. We're not allowed to trespass. Firm boundaries, off limits. But then you have what's permissible, what's kosher, what's permissible. Kalat kosher, you're allowed to eat. Not a mitzvah, but you're allowed. And the question is, what do you do with that portion? How do you engage in that portion? And Al-Tareb is going to explain in this chapter that a Jew was given the ability to change, to elevate, to transform the physical, the material world, the material activities that he interacts with. So we have the ability to actually change and elevate. A Jew was given the ability to change and to transform everything. Everything that's kosher. That's our theater of operation. That's our arena. That's the arena that God gave us to operate in. That we have the ability to change and to transform. A mitzvah is from God. It's a divine. But the neutral area, that's entirely up to us. It's entirely up to the person. If the person is a refined person and is an elevated person and he injects a, a divine intention, a spiritual intention, a divine intention, I'm eating in order for the sake of heaven, then you elevate and transform that experience. That experience becomes an ennobling, elevating, wholesome experience, a Jewish experience, a holy experience. If, however, 
the Jew thinks nothing, let alone if he indulges, but even if he doesn't indulge, he's just surviving, going about surviving, but he's not injecting a higher thought, he's not connecting, as the ad says, to a higher authority, he's not associating this act with the divine, he's not making a conscious connection with the divine, then that act becomes a degrading act. And it plunges you and it descends, help descend into the realm, temporarily descend into the realm of evil, of the Gimel Klippot HaTmeyat, the three totally, the negative shell. There's no, so really there is no neutral. It has the, it's potentially neutral, potential to go either way entirely depending on us. So we have that power, that responsibility to affect the world around us. A Jew was given this divine gift. We have the ability to affect the world around us, the physical, material world around us. Whatever state we are at, whatever level of consciousness we are at, as we interact with the material world, with the neutral world, with the kosher world, then we elevate it. And we are elevated in turn by it. Our table becomes an altar. The act of eating becomes a sacrifice. Elevated to Hashem, and we are ennobled and elevated and are energized by that experience. The act of eating could be a noble experience. How could the act of eating be a noble experience? What does eating have to do with nobility? Because when the Jew eats, the Shem Shemayim, for the sake of heaven, and you connect that act with the divine, with Hashem, then that act becomes an elevated act. It becomes a holy act. And it becomes elevated to holiness. An ennobling, wholesome experience. If, however, we just go about it neutrally without any intent, without any higher intent, we're not aware, we're not thinking, we're not paying attention, then it becomes a banal act, a banal corrupting act, which could lead a person to indulgence, which in turn, when a person indulges in materialism for the sake of indulgence, it could lead a person to prohi- prohibitive indulgences, prohibitive acts, because that's just the nature. It coarsens you, it pulls you down, it spoils you, and, and it one step leads to the next step. So the beginning of that descent all begins with going about our daily life Interacting with the permissible, permissible activities, but without any divine intent, without connecting it with Hashem. Without, by not connecting it with Hashem, it already becomes a degrading act. It degrades the soul. It temporarily descends and plunges us into the world of evil. And it's corrosive. And it will ultimately lead to indulgence and one indulgence, permissible indulgence, leads to prohibitive indulgence and it just spirals downhill. It goes from bad to worse. So it's entirely a good so, when you, so you have to make this connection. So you have to, it's, a, it's the way you think about it? Yeah. It's exactly, yes, what we think has an impact on the world. Because we are not detached. That whole perspective of being detached, observers, and that whole split between subjective and objective, that's a very superficial, a very superficial level. You know, the modern physicists know when you go deep down 
electromagnetic level of reality. You, you can no longer make any splits between the subjective, objective. You have an impact on the reality because that's the truth. The, the, the divine perspective, there is no split, there is no disconnect. And since a Jew operates on that level, because we have a piece of the divine essence, there is no split. You can't split the Jew from his actions. Whatever state the Jew is at, personally, subjectively, his awareness, his level of awareness, his level of concentration, his level of focus, his level of spirituality, that's going to have a direct impact on the food that he eats or on the business that, that he occupies and engages in, whatever he interacts with. And that will determine whether that act becomes a holy act, an uplifting act, a noble act, it's connected with Hashem, or it becomes a degrading act. An independent act. It's not connected with anything, and therefore it becomes an act that distorts, an act that corrodes, an act that degrades. And of course, that's very subtle. Because we're not talking about a person who's indulging. We're talking about a person who's dieting, who's eating healthy, who's just surviving. Busy with surviving. Not even indulging. Maybe he's eating food that's not even so tasty. He's eating it out of survival. But he's not thinking about the divine. He's not thinking about Hashem. So it's very subtle. But by not thinking about Hashem, that act becomes a corrosive act, a degrading act. And temporarily, it descends into the realm of the klipa. And it brings a, a, an impurity on your soul. And it's actually very tiring for the soul. It's actually very, 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 it's very harmful for the soul. So that's the tremendous responsibility and privilege that a Jew has that we can actually change the world. We change the world as we interact with the world, as we go about our daily lives, our daily business, we have the opportunity to change the world around us. And it all depends up on us on our level of awareness, and our level of consciousness, and what intent we bring to the activity. If we think about the divine, we're doing it for the sake of heaven, we inject the divine intent, we transform and elevate that act, we connect it to its root, to its source. Because everything in this world has a divine spark, and by thinking of the divine, we connect the spark to its source, to its root, and we help, this, we help reveal the spark. And then suddenly the act itself, the food, becomes a sacrifice for Hashem and the activity becomes elevated. And it becomes, and we are elevated in turn by it, it ennobles us. And it's a wholesome activity. So we have that tremendous responsibility and privilege to affect the world around us, to change the world around us. That's the nature of the Jew. We change the world around us. We affect the world around us for the positive and the opposite. And that's a unique responsibility, ability that we have to literally to affect the world around us in such a profound way. To take all those portions of human activity that are kosher, that are permissible, that are not a mitzvah, it's not in the realm of obligation or mitzvah or holy, I'm going about my business, going about pursuing my career, I'm, I'm eating, I'm drinking, I'm sleeping, I'm relaxing, whatever I may be doing. All human activities. Going to the gym, I'm playing, recreation, whatever it is. But whatever I do, when you inject an intent that I'm doing this for the sake of heaven, I'm doing this to be, to be strong, to be relaxed, to be able to serve Hashem, by injecting a theme, the theme of Hashem... <coughs> we transform that act and that act becomes a holy act. If we go about it without any thought, thoughtlessly, then that act becomes a degrading act. And it schleps us down. It has a negative effect on our soul, which is very sensitive. It senses that degradation. And it's corrosive and painful to us. And that's degrading. It degrades us. That leads us then to indulgence, which leads us to prohibited indulgence, and then on and on. However, unlike the life forms mentioned at the conclusion of chapter 6, which are derived from the three holy unclean people, 
The following life forms are derived from Klipa Noga, the vitalizing animal soul in the Jew, which is derived from the side of Klipa, and which clothes itself in a human being's blood, providing him with physical life, as stated above. And the souls of the animals, beasts, birds, and fish, which are pure according to the laws of the Torah, and are thus permitted for Jewish consumption, as also the existence and vitality of everything in the inanimate and the vegetable world that is permissible for consumption. So too the existence and vitality of every act, utterance, and thought in mundane matters that contain no forbidden aspect. If you notice, he says the souls of the animals, of the birds, of the fish, and then he says the existence and vitality of everything inanimate and the vegetable world. But there he doesn't say the soul of the vegetable world. Because he can't really refer to the energy of a vegetable as a soul. A soul connotes something more, more personal, willpower. An animal has a soul. It moves, it roams. It has some sort of thought process. It has some sort of... Even though... Um, a vegetable, vegetable, organic life has energy and it grows, but its energy is only expressed in the fact that it grows. It doesn't stay still, unlike a stone. But that's not, that's, you can't call it a soul. You can't refer to it as a soul, a personality, a character. You know, you can't, you can't refer to it as a soul. Animals have, certain, have, a certain, have a soul, a certain personality, a character, an animal soul. But you can't refer to a plant you know, as a personality and a character and a will and a pleasure. And, uh, so that's why he just says the um, existence and the vitality, everything in the inanimate and the vegetable world. Okay, and then he continues, so to the existence and vitality of every act, utterance and thought, and mundane matters and contain no forbidden aspect. You're just going about your daily life. You're acting, you're speaking, you're thinking. You're not thinking about Torah, you're not thinking about Hashem, you're not thinking about mitzvot, you're thinking about whatever you're thinking about, your business, or whatever you need to think about. Um, so all of these actions, thought and speech, receive their vitality, I continue, on top of page 112. Neither root nor branch of the 365 prohibitive precepts and their offshoots, prohibited either on the explicit authority of the Torah or by rabbinic enactment. Yet, when these permitted thoughts, utterances, or acts are not performed for the sake of heaven, as they ought to be, a Jew's actions, words, and thoughts should be directed toward the service of Hashem. For example, in eating, one's intention should be that the food supply strength for study, prayer, or performing other commandments. He should conduct his business with the intention of providing for his family, educating his children in the path of Torah and mitzvot, and giving charity, etc., but when his deeds, words, and thoughts do not serve this purpose... So you have to consciously think about it. That's something you take for granted. You have to consciously think about it, that I'm doing business and I'm spending all this time and all this effort and all this energy in order to make a good living, in order that I should be able to provide for my family, which is a mitzvah to take care of my spouse. That's a mitzvah number one. And to take care of my children and to give them a good Jewish education and to be able to lead a Jewish life. It's a very expensive lifestyle. So you need a lot of money. What to buy the nicest little of an estrogen to buy a glot kosher? And so what, then all your activities are motivated and are driven by this thought, by this theme. That I'm here, this is part of my way, this is my way of serving Hashem. I'm not only serving Hashem when I study Torah and I do a mitzvah, when I'm fulfilling an obligation. But even as I go about my daily life, doing business, whatever I may be doing, eating, sleeping... I'm also serving Hashem, because the reason I'm doing all of this is an order, it's a means to an end. It's a means to an end. The end is to serve Hashem, to connect with Hashem. But in order to serve Hashem, I need the means. I need a healthy body, so I need to sleep, and I need to eat, and I need to exercise, and I need to relax, and I need a little recreation. And then, in order to study Torah, the mind, the, the mind has to be healthy and vibrant. A person has to eat well, a person has to sleep well. Um, a person... The uh, more comfortable your environment, the more luxurious your environment, it's easier for you to study and to learn and not be distracted. We don't have to worry about paying your bills, then you have the ability to learn. So when this becomes the theme and the motivation behind everything that you do, then you're serving God in everything that you do. 
You're worshiping God, you're connecting with God in everything that you do, because everything else is just a means to that end. So then you are injecting, you're consciously injecting an awareness of God. So that's your theme, the underlying theme that connects all of your activities throughout the day. And that depends on you. It's a very personal, it's a very subjective, and it's a very conscious thing. You have to consciously think about that this is my motivation, this is my goal. But instead... Instead, they serve only the will, desire, and lust of the body. And even where it is in need of the body, and necessary for its very preservation in life, such as eating, which the body requires for its very existence, and without which it cannot possibly live. Thus, the act itself cannot be faulted. But the fault lies in that his intention is not for the sake of heaven, i.e., to utilize his body as an instrument in the service of Hashem. Right, there's nothing wrong with the act of eating. Not only is it culture, it's necessary. You have to live. The only way to live is by eating. So you're doing something that's necessary. So I'm not doing, not only am I not doing anything wrong, the act itself is, is a right act. You have to protect yourself, you have to live. But nevertheless, since there's no intent for the sake of heaven, I'm not thinking about heaven, I'm just thinking about myself, survival, self-preservation, continue my existence as an end in itself. And that's how I define myself. My entire definition is... My self-definition is ego, I, self-preservation. Continue to live for the sake of living. Not for any higher sake. I don't have any deeper self-definition of Hashem, of something greater than myself, that here everything I'm doing is just a means to an end. But I become the end in itself. Surviving becomes an end in itself. Eating becomes an end in itself. Being healthy becomes an end in itself. Without any higher purpose, higher thought, higher awareness. Then, if the spiritual intent is absent, then all these acts, utterances, and thoughts are no better than the vitalizing animal soul itself. It's not accurate. The truth is, it is worse than the animal soul itself. We are all born with an animal soul. And the animal soul is motivated by self-preservation and ego. And that alone already classifies it as klipa, as evil. As a distortion. But nevertheless, the actions that activate the soul powers, the actual thought and the actual speech and the actual action, as we go about our daily life without thinking of anything higher, anything divine, is actually degrading on the soul. It's even more degrading than the soul itself. It's corrosive. It coarsens us. Even if I'm not indulging, I'm just going about just surviving. I'm eating to be healthy, and I'm disciplined, and I'm dieted. I'm not necessarily eating the most tastiest food, junk food. I'm eating healthy food. But I'm not thinking, why, why am I being healthy? I'm not thinking I'm eating, I need to be healthy in order to serve Hashem. I'm not thinking, well, I want to have money, so I should take care of my family. Well, I need to take care of my family in order that I should be able to serve Hashem. I should be able to educate them. I should be able to serve Hashem properly. That act alone is a corrosive act. Is even more corrosive than the soul left on its own. Just like when he said earlier, that even though the soul, the divine soul, the Jewish soul, which is what makes us Jewish, we all have inside of us a Jewish soul. The Jewish soul is holy. We're born with that holiness. But nevertheless, you can't compare the holiness of the Jewish soul to the holiness when the soul activates is activated through thought, speech, and action. Thinking positively, thinking of, the, of Torah, speaking the words of Torah and prayer, doing the mitzvah, giving the tzedakah, etc. Because the, when the soul is activated, the soul is, uh, is lifted up to a much higher level than the soul on its own. It's lifted to a much deeper level of holiness. So too in the, the opposite, in the opposite side that the act and thought and speech of Kalipa is much worse when the animal soul is activated and goes about our daily life thinking, thinking about life and speaking about life and doing and acting, involved in activities of life, of survival, of living, but does not think about Hashem, that act alone is actually a degrading act and degrades the soul and is corrosive and will inevitably lead to indulgence and from permissible indulgence, that will lead to prohibitive, prohibited indulgence. 
and it, it spoils our soul. It's not beneficial for the soul. It's not uplifting, it's not inspiring, it's not wholesome. It's very corrosive for the soul. The soul that's sensitive is, is sickened by it and is, is, is exhausted by this activity, this type of activity. So when he says that it's not, um, that all these acts, utterances, and thought are no better than the vitalizing animal soul itself, the truth is it's even worse than the animal soul itself. But he means in general. Just like the animal soul itself comes from Kalipa, the shell, so too these actions, thought, speech, also come from the same category. They fall into the category of Kalipa, of a shell, but a shell that's permissible, the kosher shell, the shell that has the potential to be elevated and retains that potential. It still has the potential to be elevated. So it's not like the category of a prohibited act, which is absolutely forbidden and prohibited. Here we're talking about going about doing something kosher, a kosher activity, doing business in an honest way, eating glad kosher food, but just going about it without any higher awareness, without any higher thought, without any higher theme or goal or intention. So that act, that thought, speech, and action falls into the same category as the animal soul itself, the Jewish animal soul itself, which is which is the shell that has some light to it, which has the potential to be elevated. It's not absolute evil, it has some good in it. But specifically, it's actually even more degrading. The act itself is more degrading and corrosive than the soul, than the soul itself. It brings more impurity than the soul already contains on its own. Just by going about our daily life without any higher awareness. Because every opportunity that we have to connect with Hashem, and if we don't utilize that opportunity, it, it, then that experience becomes a degrading experience, a distorting experience, a con, a lie. We're going about pursuing our business as if we are an end in itself. We go about pursuing our health as if we are an end in itself. Life is an end in itself without any higher awareness or higher thought that connecting with anything higher than us, greater than us. That everything is a means to an end. The end is to connect with Hashem. And everything that exists, exists merely in order to connect with Hashem. There is nothing else. There is nothing else but Hashem. So the moment you, you pursue an activity as an end in itself, it's a It's a lie. You're disconnecting it from its truth, its own truth. What about something you do just for pleasure? How do you, how do you make that connection? Well, again, relaxation is also important. A person, a person has to relax also. But you do something in order to give you the strength. You know, after a while you're exhausted, you're burnt out. You know, whatever you're doing, you're doing... There could be a higher intent. Not just a, it's not just for the sake of indulgence, but it's not just for the sake of survival, for survival's sake. It's really everything that you do could be done for a higher sake. Hashem wants a person to be joyful, wholesome, natural, relaxed. And so relaxing is also for the sake of heaven. He's going to bring examples soon how every neutral activity, every kosher activity has the opportunity, the ability to be utilized for something higher. To be connected with something higher. Like it'll bring soon humor. What if you're watching a movie where there's no connection to a higher appreciation of Hashem if you're watching a movie? Well, maybe it's your way of relaxing. Maybe learning something. Maybe it's your way of relaxing. I mean, you know, this is a very subjective thing. It's a very personal thing. It's a very subjective thing. Um, everyone has to know their level. But if that's your way of relaxing, in order for you to be able to continue to grow as a Jew, 
in order for you to be able to study and for you to be able to daven in order for you to be able to grow um, I see no connection there at all I'm sitting and watching a movie it's like total disconnect from what you're talking about here again it's a very personal thing of course a person who has the ability to study 23 hours a day Instead, he watches a movie. It's not just a question of doing something neutral. He's actually violating a prohibition. You should study Torah every waking moment. That's, what's my, that's if, actually what my question if you have that, I didn't if, say it. If you, if, you, if you have that opportunity. But not everyone is capable of studying 23 hours a day. Not everyone has the head to study 23 hours a day. And uh, sometimes you've studied and you've exhausted yourself. In, and this is your way of relaxing. Some people relax by reading. Some people relax by watching something. So, again, if your intent is because you want to feel joyous about being Jewish and you want to serve Hashem joyously, and, this, and you have to unwind, you just, you, just, you just... And this is your way of relaxing. If you inject an, an intent for the sake of heaven, and again, it's between you and Hashem. Hashem knows if it's genuine or you're just saying it because... <laughs> but it has to be something kosher to relax. Of course. <laughs> to relax and unwind with something that's not kosher, all the intentions in the world won't help. That's what we're going to learn in the next chapter. We're talking about this whole discussion is anything that's kosher, within the kosher arena. To, you can have all the best intentions in the world, but if the activity itself is not kosher, then it's not kosher and there's nothing you can do. You can't kosher a pig. What is it about a movie that's kosher? What do you mean? If it's not modest, if it's, if it's, if it's th- things, things there that are not appropriate. There are many things that could be not kosher. But, but if it's, a, it's just a movie, an interesting movie, I mean, uh, just a well-done, well-thought, uh, smart, clever, and, it, you know. Again, you have to know who the person is. You have to know where they're coming from. <laughs> if you're watching a shpizen, you could be watching a shpizen. <laughs> That's what I was <laughs> thinking. Learn yeah. something. It's inspiring. It's powerful. It's a power, what a powerful medium. But there were things in there that were not kosher. No, no everything was glat kosher. Glat kosher. Why was not kosher? And what if, what if, you, what if you're, you're watching a documentary about nature? You want to see the wonders of Hashem's nature and you're learning. And, you know, what's... what's uh, again, but it all depends on your intent. If your intent is this will enable you to serve Hashem... This will relax you and enable you then to go and to, to daven, learn with enthusiasm. With, then, so then, again, if it's culture and you're doing it and you're doing it for the sake of heaven, and it's genuinely so, you know, that's between you and Hashem. Hashem knows if He's just saying it or you mean it. And if that's the case, then every activity, He's going to bring many examples soon, of activities that we don't usually associate with holiness, but if it's done properly with the proper intent, even that activity could become a holy activity. It all depends on us. We are in the command and control center. We are the movers and shakers. We are in the engine room. The entire world is in our hands. We are the ones who are going to change the world. That's the mission of the Jew, to change the world to bring godliness into this world. And the way we bring godliness into this world is not only by studying Torah and doing mitzvah, but also how we go about our daily life. If, as we go about our daily life, we inject an intent of L'Shem Shemayim, and we are aware and we're conscious that everything is a means to an end, and we don't define ourselves by the means, we define ourselves by the end, and we're conscious of that thought, we make a blessing, but we think about what we're saying. We don't just mouth the blessing. I wrote mechanically, but we actually are aware of the blessing. And then we eat with that intent in order to be strength, strong and healthy in order to serve Hashem. That we have the ability to change and transform that activity. That activity now becomes a holy activity. Our table becomes the altar, and that eating, that breakfast, lunch, supper, becomes a sacrifice for Hashem that goes straight that that's elevated and, and elevates us and is ennobling and is wholesome. And we connect that that physical activity to its root, to its source, its divine root and source, and we help reveal that divine root and source. That's really the mission of the Jew. The mission of the Jew is to reveal godliness in this world by changing the world. That's the unique mission of the Jew that we are charged with, to change the world. And it all depends on us. 
our state of awareness, our level of awareness, our level of consciousness, our level of focus and concentration. So a lot is riding on us, individually, personally, every one of us, the smallest one of us. We have the ability to transform the world. This is a gift. Only God has the ability to transform and to change, and he has given that ability to the Jewish people. Due to no fault of our our own. (laughs) We're not called the choosing people. We're called the chosen people. It's not... not, Angels don't have that ability. God gave that ability to the Jewish people. Exclusive. It's an exclusive. To change the world. Transform the world. Through our consciousness. Through our awareness. How we go about it. What intention we inject in our activities. It makes a world of difference. And something shifts, something changes. That activity now becomes a holy activity, a holy act. But if we just go about it neutrally, then it becomes a degrading act. How do we determine what the ends are? The ends are for the sake of Hashem. Because everything in the world is created for the sake of Hashem. Because everything in the world is constantly being created. Nothing could exist without the divine energy constantly recreating everything that exists. So at the very substance of everything that exists truly is nothing other than godliness. Everything is made up of a godly substance. There is nothing else, really. Therefore, everything that God creates is just for His own sake. It's for the sake of the divine, of godly, for godly purpose. God is creating each and every moment. This very moment, God is recreating you and I and the table and the chair and everything that exists for His, only for a divine purpose. There is no other purpose. Everything that exists in this world has a divine purpose and the Torah spells out with that purpose. So, that's the end. Are we responsible for the negative? We are responsible because on its own, it's neutral. On its own, before we approach it, before we interact, before we think or speak or act, it's neutral. It can go either way. It's waiting for us. And if we go and we blow it, and we just go ahead and eat without any higher thought, we just go about doing our business without any thought, we blew it. God gave us an opportunity. He gave us a portion of this world and instead of elevating it, instead of ta- making our business into a holy place, instead of making our home into a holy place, instead of making our table into an altar, we blew it. So we, this, this, maybe this, when a Jew says a Jew walks down the street, if he's thinking of a higher thought, then the, th- the street is thrilled that you're walking on it. But if not, maybe the street has been waiting for thousands of years until a Jew will walk on that street and will think about Hashem or think about a higher thought. And then the spark, the holy spark, that's been waiting for thousands of years to be elevated and connected to its source, would have been released and revealed. And even though we don't sense it, but many great rabbis, many great tzaddikim, were able to sense. They would walk through places and they would set, there was a scent, a holy scent, that this place has been elevated and there was, there was like a scent of or, or aroma of the Garden of Eden. Because a, because a Jew passed there and had the proper thought, released the spark, fulfilled the purpose that this, this portion of the world was created for, and he felt that godly, godliness, a sense of godliness on that spot. But if not, then we lost the opportunity. That spark has been waiting for thousands of years. Then if the ground could speak, the ground can say, Bulach, Bulach, why are you stepping on me? Why are you stepping on me? I should be stepping on you. What right do you have to step on me? I should be stepping on you. When every Jew activates their potential, then the world becomes a much finer place, much more refined place. Because each and every one of us is a reflection of the entire world, a microcosm. So the more we activate the divine spark within us, the more the divine spark within the entire world becomes activated, revealed. And the more the godly spark is revealed, the world becomes a better place. The world becomes a refined place because the material world is just a reflection of the spiritual. When the world was a garden of Eden, this world was physically, spiritually a garden of Eden, the world was physically a garden of Eden. All the secrets of nature were all revealed. When God created the world, all the secrets that we're just relearning or rediscovering today, and we haven't even touched the tip of the iceberg, all of that was revealed. This world was a Garden of Eden. There was an abundance of energy and clean energy and abundance of everything that you needed. 
people lived a thousand years. This, this, this was, this, the world was physically a reflection of the way it was spiritually. When the Jews at Mount Sinai reached a level of perfection, it says there was no injured, there was no cripples, there was no illness. Death came to an end. If the Jews wouldn't have sinned with the golden calf, they would have entered, ushered in the messianic era. Everything in the physical is a reflection of the spiritual. When Jews during the first temple era were in a very high level and they had the era of prophecy, Israel was different than it was today. The Talmud describes how every, Israel was so lush. The fruits were so luscious. It was physically. It's today you don't see that. And even today the fruits of Israel are superior and head and shoulders above the artificial fruits that we call fruits here in America. But, but um, you know, the oversprayed and over, you know, uh, synthetic, <laughs> chemically ridden. But, but then when Israel was on a high spiritual level, it reflected even on the fruit, that the fruit was on a different level. So everything in the physical is a reflection of the spiritual. So the more the Jew activates his own godly spark and is engaged, consciously engaged, his Jewishness and expresses and reveals his Jewishness, the more he helps reveal and manifest godliness in the world. Suddenly the world becomes a more refined place, a more respectful place for Jews. When Jews were connected, were in touch with their godly spark on a personal and on a collective level, Jews prospered materially, financially, on all levels. Times of King Solomon is the ultimate example. When the Jews reached their peak, Tonight is the 15th of Av. The Jewish people are compared to the moon. The 15th is when the moon is at its height. King Solomon was the 15th generation since Abraham. When the Jews reached their peak, their spiritual height, the, there was no anti-Semitism. They had a taste of the Messianic era. The whole world came to study wisdom at the feet of King Solomon. They built the first temple. Every Jew lived comfortably under, under his wine tree, under, under his fig tree. There was no war. It was amazing. No one was throwing rockets into Israel. On the contrary, the world respected Israel. The entire world gave, gave tribute to King Solomon, brought gifts and presents, and came to Jerusalem was the nerve center of the entire world. People came to study wisdom and Torah and truth. That was a taste of the Messianic era. But it wasn't yet the Messianic. It was a taste. So you see, whenever a Jew reaches the height, the pinnacle, spiritually, personally, internally, it affects the entire universe. The entire world is affected. Suddenly the godly spark is revealed and the world becomes a friendly place, a warm place, a godly place, a good place, a wholesome place, a wonderful place, a garden of Eden. And when we lost touch with it, that's the one theme that runs throughout Jewish history. When we lost touch with our own divine essence and spark, the whole world became a harsh place. As Jews got more in touch with their divine spark, we had the revelation of Hasidism, the explosion of Hasidic philosophy and Hasidic knowledge. Suddenly we had the explosion of knowledge, of science. The world advanced more in the last hundred years or so, more than it advanced in the last 5,000 years. Because he had all this intense revelation of the divine soul, of Jewish joy and Jewish vibrancy and Jewish energy and enthusiasm for being Jewish and for serving Hashem and love for Hashem, that Hasidic, Hasidic movement, the Baal Shem Tov, we saw Baal Shem Tov brought to the Jewish people. This evoked also a parallel response in the physical universe, that suddenly all the hidden treasures and secrets of the universe are beginning to emerge and surface once again quantum mechanics and laser and all the things that make life so much more pleasurable and comfortable. And we're just, we're just at the, just experience the tip of the iceberg. The best is yet to come. So there's definitely a parallel. So that is the long, short way. There, is no, there are no shortcuts. It's every Jew's obligation. It's every Jew's responsibility. Every one of us was given a portion of this world that we have to interact with. We have to go about our daily lives. Six days a week you should work, and one day a week you keep Shabbos. It's our obligation, it's our mission. And by working and interacting with the physical world, which occupies most of our time, by working and how we work with the physical, and 
just like a Jew keeps Shabbos, he also have to keep Sunday and Monday. There's a way a Jew lives on Sunday, a way a Jew behaves on Monday and Tuesday. As we go about our daily life, not only in a kosher way. That's not enough. Kosher is not enough. Just, just the fact that I'm eating glad kosher, but if I'm eating it, I'm, I'm indulging. Or I'm just going about it neutrally without any entire thought or higher intention. It's already a degrading act. I lost the opportunity. I've been degraded and I degraded the world and I brought darkness into this world. I have not fulfilled my Jewish mission, which is to bring light into the world. How do I fulfill my Jewish mission? It's not enough for keeping kosher and by doing business in an honest way. It has to be much deeper than that, much more engaging than that. You actually have to have an awareness, a thought process, an awareness, a consciousness that I'm doing this for the sake of heaven. Everything that I'm doing is a means to an end. The end is to serve Hashem. Then you bring light into the world. Then you've taken a darkness and you've transformed it. You've taken a potential, a neutral, a potential that had the potential and you've realized that potential and you've released the spark and revealed godliness and brought light into the world. Transformed and elevated that portion of the world that was allotted to you. And of course, every one of us has a portion of the world that's allotted to us. Maybe if Hashem sees that we know how to deal with our portion, maybe He'll give us a bigger portion. <laughs> I'm not dealing with this portion. I mean, in, in the framework that you're describing, I'm not but dealing with this. Every one of us has a soul connection. There's a portion of this world that belongs to us and to no one else. Only we have the ability to elevate it. These are the people we interact with, our business brings us to, we travel, we meet, we cross roads with people. Everything is divine providence. Nothing just happens by accident. Every one of us was given a a portion of this universe that belongs only to us. We are the only ones. Our souls are the only ones that are capable to release those sparks. The sparks in these physical and that physical portion are connected directly and personally and intimately with my soul. I'm the only one who has the ability to unlock those sparks, to release those sparks. <coughs> so we need, the engage- we need every Jew to be fully engaged. There's not one single extra Jew in this world. God created every Jew who has a portion of this world that's allotted to them. And they are the only ones who can elevate it. No one else. Not before, not after. They are the only Jews in the world who can deal with this portion of this world. So we need every Jew to be fully engaged. This is not a program for tzaddikim, for saints, for righteous people, for mystics, for rabbis, for scholars. This is a program for each and every Jew. God gave the Torah to each and every Jew. Because each and every Jew has a portion in this world and they have to be fully engaged. Not only. That's elementary. That's basics. Not to do something that's... Not to violate a prohibition. Not to trespass. Not to transgress. That goes without saying talking about something much deeper than that. You have to be fully engaged. And even in the portion that's culture, you have to be fully aware and we have to connect and we have to inject a higher thought, a higher awareness, a theme, a purpose, a goal, or whatever we're doing, we're doing for the sake of heaven and everything in the material world. We don't define ourselves by materialism. It's merely a means to an end. We define ourselves by our divine, by our relationship with Hashem. And when we are... When, when we are permeated with that awareness, we bring the awareness of Hashem, that the awareness of Hashem will permeate the entire world. And then collectively, that will bring Mashiach. When the entire world is permeated with the knowledge and the awareness of Hashem, that will bring about the great awakening, which will touch even the Goyim. And even the non-Jews will wake up and become aware of the one and only God. So it's not an easy program. <laughs> it's a long way. But it's the short way. It's the only way. It's the short way that will get us to the end goal. That will get us to Mashiach. And everything in this totality of things flows and is grown from the second gradation of Kalipat and Sitra Arkar, which is the fourth Kalipat called Kalipat Nogat. Or in this world called the world of Asiyah, action, most indeed almost all of these evil with only a little good intermingled with, within it. Kalibat Noga is found in the higher worlds as well. However, the proportions of good and evil which comprise it vary from one world to the next. In Berea, Kalipat Noga is mostly good, possessing only a small measure of evil, which is separate from the good. In the Yitzira, it is composed equally of good and evil, while in the spiritual Zia, evil predominates. In our physical world, Kalipat Noga 
is almost total, totally evil, with only a minute portion representation of good and light. So Klipat Noga has a mixture of good and evil, but in our world, which is the lowest of all the worlds, the end end world, um, it's a majority of evil, and there's just a little bit of goodness mixed in with it, a little bit of selflessness, of kindness, of goodness. But other than that, it's most of it is really self-centered, self-absorbed, self-motivated, ego-motivated, and there's very little of that selflessness and genuine kindness and goodness mixed into it. So this is the level of the klipa, which is the source of our animal soul, the Jewish animal soul, and it's also the source of everything that's kosher, the arena that we call kosher, which includes kosher activities, even glad kosher, glad kosher activities, food, uh, thought, speech, action, doing business in a kosher way. But nevertheless, it's not a holy. It's not holy. I'm just going about my daily life, my mundane, everyday life. Going about earning a living and just go- going about my business. But nevertheless, it derives from, it derives its life and its sustenance from the shell that has some goodness to it. Which means it will explain that it, ha- it has the potential to be elevated. It's up to us. We have to release that spark. If we approach this activity in the proper way and we inject the proper intention and the proper awareness, then we can release that potential. But it, it, it merely means it has the potential to be elevated that has some goodness to it. It's a mixture. The majority of it is evil, but it has a mixture. That's why since the majority of it is evil, if we just go about our business neutrally without injecting any thought for the sake of heaven, it actually becomes a very corrosive, corrosive act. It actually corrodes the soul, degrades us. As explained in the first chapter, the Jews' inherent qualities of compassion and benevolence stem from his animal soul. This is a soul of Kalipa, yet because of its origins in the Kalipa Noga, which incorporates good as well, as well, it gives rise to the good traits of compassion and benevolence. Since Kalipa Noga is a mixture of good and evil, and action, any action, utterance, and thought emanating from this Kalipa can be utilized for good or evil. Indeed, as the Alter Rebbe will explain presently, the very same action, utterance, or thought may be holy if done for the sake of heaven or evil, if otherwise intended. Now, Kalipa Noga is an intermediate category between the three completely unclean Kalipa and the category and order of sanctity. Hence, it is sometimes absorbed within the three unclean kalipa, and at other times it is absorbed in and, in and elevated at the category and level of sanctity. That is, it is absorbed within sanctity when the good that is intermingled in it is extracted and separated from the evil, prevails over it, and ascends to be absorbed in sanctity. So we have the three categories. We have the category of holiness. Then we have the opposite of holiness, the three kalipas, which are totally and absolutely impure. And then you have the intermediary level, which is Klipat Noga, which, in what sense is it intermediate? In the sense that it can go either way. It can go either way. It could, in actuality, as he said earlier, stated earlier in chapter 6, there's only two levels. Either there's holy, anything that's not holy is automatically impure. There's no neutral, there really is no neutral, there, is, there really is no in-between. As we know from World War II, there's no such thing as neutral. We thought that Switzerland was neutral. Now we know there's no such thing as neutral. Either you're with us or you're against us. There's no such thing as neutral. It's a facade. It's an illusion. So reality, there is no neutral. Either you're with Hashem, you're not with Hashem. It's automatic. Anything that's not connected with Hashem is automatically like the France. other side. It's like France in negotiations. <laughs> automatically is the other side, however. What sense is it like intermediate? In the sense that it could go either way. This action will be classified either as holy or the opposite of holiness. There's no halfway. There's no in-between. It's absolute. It is or it isn't. It's holy, it's connected with Hashem, or it's not connected with Hashem. There's no in-between. It's only in-between in the sense that it could go either way. It has the potential to go either way. It's entirely up to us. If we inject a thought for the sake of heaven, we engage in this activity, we eat and we're thinking that we're eating for the sake of heaven to give us energy, to give us strength in order to serve Hashem. 
then we strengthen the divine spark, the little light that's there. We strengthen it and we enable it to release itself from being trapped in its materialistic shell and we release it and suddenly the light is released and um, is connected to its source. So it becomes holy. The good within it is released, separated from the negative and is elevated to its source and then the holiness overcomes the negative, the light overcomes the darkness and the good overcomes the evil, the spiritual overcomes the material and then it becomes a holy object, a holy experience, uplifting experience, a nobling experience, a wholesome experience. If, however, we do not inject a heavenly thought, we don't do anything let alone if you indulge. But if you indulge, then you're injecting a very negative thought. Let's say you're not indulging. But you're not thinking anything positive, neutral. Then, that act has descended. The life in that act has descended into the realm, temporarily descended into the realm of evil. It becomes a purely negative act. And you, you've brought darkness You've degraded that object and degraded your soul and degraded the world around you. You've brought darkness into, into, into your soul, into the world around you, into that object. You've taken that spark, and which as it is, was hidden and just had the potential to be realized. Instead of realizing that potential, you darkened it even more. You imprisoned it even more. You covered it up even more. And you've brought darkness into the world. So the act itself is is either going to be holy or it's not going to be holy. That's up to us. But inherently on its own, it has the potential to go either way. That's the meaning of an intermediary. It's an intermediary between, it's sandwiched between holiness and evil because it can go either way. It's entirely in our hands. We are in the driver's seat. Hashem left it up to us. Our hands. And privilege, responsibility, but also a tremendous privilege. If you think about it, we have the opportunity to change. We have the opportunity to redeem, to release, to shed light, to bring light, to transform, to change. That's a tremendous privilege. This seems like the most challenging one. Absolutely. That's why... uh, most Jews, it engages most of their time. Most of their time is not spent studying Torah and doing mitzvah. Most of their time is spent doing business. Existing. Existing, eating, sleeping. How much time do we spend? Shabbos is one day a week. The time in shul is, is a fraction of our day. The time we study Torah, most Jews have an opportunity to study Torah, is a small fraction of their time. So why did God create the world in such a way that most of our time is spent engaging in our mundane, in our daily life. If the ultimate purpose is godliness, he should have created Shabbos six days a week. And one day a week he got to work. <laughs> Chalun six days a week. Why didn't, why didn't he create the world that way? Because this is the purpose. You're right, this is the most challenging part of being Jewish. This is the purpose. The purpose is he wanted us to elevate the divine sparks in all of existence, to release and to redeem the divine sparks in all of existence. And next week we'll continue, we'll bring examples, practical examples of, um, of how we can take any, every activity, like humor and, and good food and good wine, and take all those activities, I guess there was no movies in those times, so you couldn't bring that as an example. But it's a good, a good example. Any, any activity that's a kosher activity it all depends the context. It all depends where, where you're coming from. The truth is, I watch a movie to go to sleep. Okay. And it so. works all the time. The minute I, some, yeah. pe- some people listen to the rabbi to do that. I have power to the movie from God. Is there anything that is in normal state is holy already? It's on, its own? No, on its own? A mitzvah. A mitzvah. But again, you have to do the mitzvah, but the mitzvah is holy. The mitzvah is holy. 
miracles come from Hashem. Holy. A Jew is holy, has a holy soul. Whether he knows it or not, just by being, he's holy. His very being and very survival and very existence, his bodily being and survival existence, he's already holy. He's born holy. His very being, he doesn't even realize it, but the rest of the world does, but he's born holy. That Jewish Nisham. This class is part of the Lessons in Tanya project. More classes available at LessonsInTanya.com.